I see it's a wonderful evening to talk about Star Wars. I have my coffee right next to me in my comfy corner cafe on Coruscant level 1313. And we are sitting here, Nicholas and I. My name is Jesse Bill Rudkin, and are you ready to talk about Mandalorian Season 3? Ooh. Are you ready to talk about Andor Season 1? Ooh. These rumors come all the way from our friends at Making Star Wars and Star Wars Mag. We are ready to talk about all these rumors, but, you know, the track record stands. This is probably going to be a spoiler-filled episode for future Star Wars properties that are coming soon. I'm Jesse Borodkin, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Nicholas Patty. Nicholas Patty, how are you today? Oh, I am doing scrum diddly umptious, and I'm ready for an action-packed episode of Cappuccino's on Coruscant. I apologize ahead of time to anybody listening. We're having some weird technical uh, issues. I don't know why the issue persists, but uh, alas, I will have an evening full of Adobe Audition recording to do. So hopefully, this all works in the end. But guys, all I know is, is we got... Any further, can I ask you a question? Please. So, I'm sitting here with my boiled bean juice. May I ask what is in your cup? Do you have nine parts boiled bean juice and one part, uh, or many more parts of the corn-aged barrel juice? Oh no, I I am sitting here with the bean juice. I am uh I once I finish this coffee, however, I will be hopping like a little rabbit down the path to IPAville, uh, that's for sure. Uh, uh, before we uh, before we jump into a, a pretty action-packed show here, um, a couple things. One, follow us on social media and SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Guys, if you go ahead and search Cappuccinos on Coruscant on the interwebs, we will be the first result. If you search in Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, I don't think we have a Facebook, but we don't really need it. SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Well, I want to talk to your Aunt Myrtle. Swing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to get involved in the uh, election was stolen Facebook group. Um, <laughs> sorry, just had no, to. You're good. No, you're good. That's 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 good. That was topical for a year and a half ago. So yeah, that was relevant. Um, guys, so follow us there. Um, we've been making really good progress um, with the podcast in general. We've got a lot of exciting stuff kind of going on behind the scenes in terms of getting ourselves not so much syndicated, but monetized and getting ourselves onto more platforms. In addition to that, we're coming out with new logos. And with that, merchandise. Ooh. So Merchandising! The- merchandising, you say. The only way to know about that is to follow us on social media or to yeah. just keep listening to us here. And in addition to that, I think it's an appropriate time to say, guys, uh, we're going to have links on the socials for the official coffee of Cappuccinos on Coruscant. If you say, wait, 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 what are you talking about? Guys, go ahead and check out XP Coffee Company. You can look them up or you can use the link uh, for a discount on their coffee. Uh, Cappuccinos on Coruscant. The stuff's really good. I've had it. It's uh, actually from the United Kingdom, mate. Or no, you have to ship it internationally, love. But it's really good. And I'm not just saying that as a as a 22-year-old that's sipping on a cup of coffee right now. And a 22-year-old that just got their first sponsor. Yeah, exactly. And we're really excited about it. They're, uh, 
I really, I really do. I do like the brand, you know, they're trying to market to a different audience and, uh, gaming and, and the world of multimedia online is their target. And, uh, voila, we're here multimedia. So check them out, check us out on SoundCloud, Apple podcast. And we really do appreciate all the listenership. Spotify coming soon. I'm sorry. Spotify coming soon. Spotify coming soon. Merchandise coming soon. Uh, just make coming sure soon. coming, coming soon, sir. Uh, just make sure you're, uh, you're watching, you're watching the socials and you're listening to the episodes and you won't miss a damn thing with that bow. Not uh, a damn thing. You know what we haven't talked about? God, what haven't we talked about? We haven't talked about our the preference of shoe sizes, my onset. Oh, the indoor trailer. Yeah, we haven't That's right. We haven't even remotely talked about this. I've been sitting over here with a bag of XP coffee up my ass. And we haven't talked about the Andor trailer, so I think my priorities are a little mixed up. Yeah, absolutely. I think our I think our priorities is, are mixed up. As, as most people know, uh, the Andor trailer dropped the uh, I, I want to say the Friday of Star Wars Celebration. I want to say forever ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a while ago, but we haven't talked about it. I more want to get into the juicy rumors, but I want to focus on what we do know. What we do know about Andor that is that it stars Diego Luna and Genevieve O'Reilly. It will be a political spy oh, thriller. Good old Genevieve. Oh, I love her. The voice of Moira in Overwatch. So, is it really? Yeah, no, it really is. That's brutal. I know. If you if you listen to it, you're like, oh my gosh, that is Mon Mothma. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, man, it's a it's a so indoors kind of not necessarily aptly named for what the show was going to contain. Yes, it is going to have lots of Andor. Yes, it's going to be a spy thriller. But it is also going to be a political thriller because it is a two-protagonist piece focusing on one half Andor, spy extraordinaire for the Rebel Alliance. But also, it is going to focus on uh, Senator Mon Mothma as she begins to realize that the undercurrent and the uh the motives of the imperial senate and the imperial governing authorities in general are rather wonky in their morality and they don't seem to have much at all uh and it's going to be a think piece of what brings uh what kind of signs of corruption can can the people see in a government and such things like that i i think it's quite topical and uh and as we go back into Star Wars history, we see glaring. It's just, it's looking us straight in the face, these political and real life applications for what are going on in our world. I really don't know how that's going to affect Andor, but if we look into the original trilogy, what happened just uh, previously before Vietnam, who do we follow? We follow the Rebel Alliance, otherwise known as like terrorists, Viet Cong. Going against an impossible empire to defeat. Yeah, and I think for all the prequel fans out there, this is going to be at least what was my favorite aspect of the prequels, besides the amazing cinematography, obviously. Those are things that everybody loves and and everybody knows. But the political theater that we get to see in the prequels is something that we haven't seen in the original trilogy in nearly the same uh, amount or effect. Or in the sequel trilogy. In fact, the sequel trilogy, one of its biggest strengths could have and should have been 
dealing with the politics of the resistance and the new republic and all that stuff. And we just didn't get to see that. So fortunately, yeah. Andor is going to be... Coming. Yeah, it's been a long time coming for that type of storytelling. But not only that, it's picking up at the where Star Wars has done politics best, I would argue. And that's the prequels. So yeah. we're going to see, really, last we see... Uh, the Republic becomes the Empire, and then it's basically radio silence in terms of canon and storytelling until the Emperor dissolves the Senate in A New Hope. Exactly. So what did the Imperial Senate do for 20 years? Because we know, because we get a little bit of a taste with it in Obi-Wan Kenobi with uh, little Leia and uh, good old Daddy Bale. And good old Daddy Bale was grooming Leia to be a senator and fighting from the inside. And we see even 10 years previously to the Senate's uh, dissolvement, we see Bale is fighting from the inside. So I, I think this is going to be a really interesting cast of characters. The uh, the on it's, it's really an ensemble piece is what Kathleen Kennedy and uh, showrunner Tony Gilroy. And I forget the producer's name. I will get her name before we start doing episode by episode breakdowns, just so I can have that on the dome. Oh, but, cool. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, they say it's an ensemble piece of many people rising up, but also an ensemble piece of Imperial officers and several antagonists that are going to double down on these senators and these uh, rogue uh, partisans pretty much uh, fighting and creating havoc as in uh, guerrilla warfare style. So that's going to be Andor. So let's get into the trailer a little bit. Uh, Nick. Yeah. What, what was your overall impression of the trailer whenever you saw it? And now that you watch it many months later, d does it still hold up as a trailer and as a pundit of excitement? I think the Andor trailer is objectively one of the best trailers we've gotten in Star Wars. However, I, I think Andor suffers from, and it's not necessarily something I prescribe to the series but i think for the sure. fandom at large and or is not a project that a lot of people are super excited about for whatever reasons and that's they're not sleeping man i'm telling you it's gonna be it's gonna well, be something that truly is gonna knock our socks off i i think so full wholeheartedly actually that's actually kind of my point is like the trailer is a really good damn trailer it's just that it's not mandalorian it's Andor, and so people are less concerned about it or less excited for it as as it as they were for kenobi they were extremely excited for kenobi but not because necessarily that the trailers were good i'm not saying that they were bad but it was more so because of the provenance that comes with the name of obi-wan kenobi so yeah. the answer yeah. I think was really good yeah. i think it showed um that the show tonally is going to be more like season one mando than it is going to be like anything else we see but yeah. also it's going to be season one mando um, spreading its legs for the prequels to impregnate it. Um, and, yeah. and, and it's, uh, and we got four more episodes than we do for, uh, Mando seasons as well. Yeah. Um, I think Andor is going to be the show that of all the other shows besides Mandalorian has the most longevity in terms of the amount of story that they can tell. Yeah. And the, the micro levels that they can get down into the nitty gritty of the star Wars universe, because Mandalorian, even to a degree has to be high level enough that they can involve Luke and Ahsoka and characters like this yeah, and make a coherent story so it can't yeah. get too caught up in the day-to-day. -day. I think Andor would be wise if they keep it in the day-to-day. -day. And I think from yeah. the trailer, we see that. I think we see a lot of the kind of rote, routine 
uh, rigorousness that the Senators are going to have to deal with, that the Spies are going to have to deal with. And one thing I'm excited for... Before was, we go before we go on, can I actually give two observations to what you said? One, yeah. in direct context to what you said. Yeah, go for it. And what I'm going to say uh, in, in correlation to what you said is going to bring uh, context to my second observation that I think is worth noting and that I think people are kind of sleeping on as a fact. Um, so, yes, absolutely. The fandom is sleeping on Andor because it is a new character. It's not necessarily a new character, but it's a character that's not a legacy character. And the thing that, and which I don't understand because Disney Star Wars does best whenever the project, the IP, has its focal point on characters that are not legacy characters. What are the most lackluster and divisive uh, projects from the Disney era. They all have to do with legacy characters. The only two that we've gotten that are not legacy characters are um, Mando, Mando, and you could throw Rebels in there as well. In the Bad Batch, the Bad Batch, lackluster, whatever. But that's I think it just suffers from lack of quality and lack of. Uh, I think it just suffers from lack of creativity. But Rebels and Rogue One and Mando are the best of the Disney era, hands down. So I think Disney Star Wars does its best whenever it is has a playground where there's no uh, preconceived notions from the fandom. And another thing, the second inference that I have that I will, I think will speak volumes to Andor's performance. I think it will be a show that brings in new fans the most. And I'll tell you why. Because it is styled, stylistically, it's not necessarily like Star Wars. It still feels Star Wars, but it's a completely new story with interesting characters, intrigue, drama, action. And it's all of these things that people are looking for in a streaming series. And it's long. It's long. It's going to be long, you know. It's not going to be uh, a one-season, eight-episode arc, and then we're not going to be waiting too long in between seasons. I think it's going to be something that draws in more of a casual audience. And I think it's going to also be something that, kind of from what we can tell, to your point, is going to almost kind of follow the storyline of a lot of World War II movies, where there's the political intrigue of the countries at war, and then there's the the espionage, the, the spying and everything that we see in... If it's not a World War II movie, like uh, being down on the front lines, it's like every other World War II movie with, you know, the political leaders, whether it's Churchill or Eisenhower or whatever, dealing with the politics. And then it's the men on the ground, like 1917, when they had to deliver the message uh, in the World War I movie in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to follow similar storylines. Um, and, and I'm excited for it. And to your point, I think it's going to be something that, the first episode isn't going to be very is isn't going to be super watched by new people, but I think what's going to happen is is word's going to spread to how damn good of a show it is, and then that's going to bring a lot of people in. Unlike yeah. the first episode effect that Mando had, because obviously Mando being the first Mandalorian aside from Boba or Jango that we really see any of on the screen, um, I don't outside think of animation. Well, right, right. But, but even no then, one, but the casual fans aren't watching the Clone Wars. Well, and more than that, even in the Clone Wars, we really don't see that much of a particular Mandalorian character. We see like Mandalore culture and a shit ton of Mandalorians. But in terms of like Pre Vizsla or uh, Bo Katan, even then, we don't see 
more than a more than what maybe seven episodes at most out of seventy. Yeah. So and they are, and they, and yeah, and their characters. As much as I love Bo-Katan, and as much as I love Satine and Free and that whole gang, they are plot device characters. They are there to bring the story forward. They're yep. not necessarily there to, uh, you know, to just simmer on a character and as a character piece. They're Satine is there to be a obstacle for Obi Wan and several different characters in Mandalorian culture as that uh, as that sub arc goes. Bo-Katana is meant to be an obstacle for Satine and Pre Vizsla is meant to be an obstacle towards the Republic. Right. They're, 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 they're plot device characters. They don't get much screen time because they are there to drive the story forward in order for our characters to have their moments, which is Star Wars. Star Wars is not action. Star Wars is not necessarily adventure. Star Wars are character pieces with a sci-fi action adventure swashbuckling skin. You know, it's it, the reason why we like Star Wars is because of the characters and we get to simmer with them and we get to see these characters rise above in these galactic scaled conflicts and the lore and the implications that these different cultures bring to these characters is what really hooks us as fans. And I think that Andor will particularly be one of those series that's going to focus, uh, have a uh, microscope on. Cassian Andor, Mon Mothma, and characters that we've yet to meet. And I think it's going to be primarily a character piece, which is another thing that I think it has going for it, at least from what we've heard through uh, through the mouth of uh, Mama Kennedy herself and uh, through, the, through the vocal cords of showrunner Tony Gilroy, who is responsible for the Bourne trilogy and several other great uh, properties that are very well done and great character pieces. Yep. So yeah, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a uh, this is gonna be a powerhouse of a show. It's I uh, you know if you asked me at the start of 2022 what I was most excited for, I would say you know I feel like the obvious answer would be Obi Wan, but I I'm more worried about that than I am excited. The one I feel the most the least pressure and the most positivity uh, towards is Andor. Yeah. So no, I agree. Yeah, and Obi Wan, I I thought Obi Wan was wonderful, and I thought Boba Fett was. I think Boba Fett has its moments, but Andor is going to be the diamond in the rough that I think we'll be talking about uh, until the next new big thing, which could potentially be Mandalorian season three, which we're going to talk about later in the show. Yeah, well, speaking of move uh, plot points and moving the the story along, you want to move the uh, episode along, eh? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's a lot of things that have come out about Andor. Um, we've all seen the trailer. I don't really feel like we need to bring break it down here because we've all seen it. We know what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So, I want to talk about more of these leaks. So, these leaks come from MakingStarWars.com. So, MakingStarWars.com is a is a major leaking website. It is a website that has leaked many things and has been right they've leaked pretty much the entirety of obi-wan kenobi they leaked the entire much of the rise of skywalker and they really do have close ties to lucasfilm so there's a lot of interesting plot details that i really want to talk about in terms of the show that they have not showed us in the trailer so far yeah buddy Uh, yeah man absolutely so cassian andor has a new swashbuckling outfit and 
in that pack of the Black Series that got released is a new druid called B2 Emo. B2 Emo is actually going to um, be playing a much more of a prominent role. He's the little red druid that we see uh, that we see rolling around what I think is Braca in the mm. trailer. Yeah, yeah, I think it is too. Yeah, I I think I there's a lot of rumors going on with Cameron Monaghan and how much they're really going to be leaning into those Jedi games uh, in future projects, and I think it's think it's normal. And the majority of the and also this is going to speak volumes to um, Boba Fett and Obi Wan Kenobi. A lot of people said it looked cheap, so. Lucasfilm has an annual budget and like, I forget how much of it, but it was a large percent has gone into the show. It's shot in Pinewood. It's shot in England where the, uh, the films, the recent films and the original star Wars films were shot. Yeah. Well, I, uh, as you know, the uh a lot of the criticisms like you said or that it looks cheap and um i think i don't know whether it's for better or worse that they decided more of the budget should go to cassian but i feel like they missed opportunities with kenobi and book of boba fett i'm glad to hear that there's more practical set stuff than there has been in the previous projects um yeah i think the, i think the cgi will be very limited in this show well, not just CGI, but the volume as well. I think there's going to be a lot yeah, more utilization true. of the practical sets. Um, and we've seen that. I don't remember what Lucasfilm had released, but it was like a little short interview thing with Diego Luna, like on the set. And it wasn't even really an interview. It just like cut to him and he talked about how fun the project was or whatever. And you look around, it's like yeah. this entire village was built as a set rather yeah. than, oh, we have a couple cargo boxes and the rest is in the volume. Yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, the project, uh, the sets, the sets in the project, the costuming, it's 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 motion picture quality. And for how much these companies are beginning to spend on streaming series is in the war of the in the streaming wars. Uh, cough, cough, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I which I'm also very excited about that show. That'll be fun. But um I'm interested, but yeah, it's, they poured some serious whip. So we can absolutely look forward to this show, uh, bringing a quality that has been unparalleled in recent history for star Wars. Speaking no, of quality unparalleled in our friends in England, Neil Scanlon, my dog, has created hundreds of new aliens for this series in particular. Yeah, and Neil Scanlon is, I almost wish we could say a friend of the show, uh, but Neil Scanlon is somebody that's been integral to Star Wars, especially since the Disney takeover, and is somebody that's very approachable. He's a super humble guy as a human being. He's, yeah. he's a great human. And so knowing the excellence in his work and knowing that he has had so much of a role in Cassian upcoming, I'm really excited to see what he and the team over at Lucasfilm comes up with because I don't think Neil Scanlon has ever had a miss. Yeah. I mean, there are, here's the thing about Neil Scanlon. 
Neil Scanlon, he, I personally think he works best in general as a creative with completely, with complete creative freedom. Oh, a thousand percent. I would say that's most creatives. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the biggest uh, objections to his work is that it doesn't feel grounded in Star Wars. I, I completely disagree, but from what I understand, many legacy creatures were created, including an entire Nemoidian sect. Hell yeah. And they have feudal Japanese armor, as it's coming from the rumor mill, and they will also be taking a major role in the show. The Nemoidians, the Trade Federation, that whole subplot from the prequels is coming back. Which I think is one of the strongest parts of the prequels. While they look silly, um, listen, I never thought I'd say this, but I want some more new Gunray. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think new Gunray will be uh, a part of the series? Oh, wait. No, we're we're, we're idiots. He died. He died. He died too far. Anakin Anakin slashed him. That's why I I was like, well, he can't, but I I want more. Yeah. (laughs) But I I think... I'm I'm excited to see those buggers again, man. I miss them. I I used to think Newt Gunray was super creepy, and well, uh, now that we think about it, we might get to go see them on their home planet because the the their involvement in the story is really going to be who who's in charge, what's their role after the death of Newt Gunray and a bunch of the of the active leaders during the Clone Wars. Yeah, uh, and, and they probably play a massive part in the Imperial Senate because you know I believe awesome. that. Yeah, I mean, they're still in charge of trade, no matter who's dead and who's alive. But that's the thing. The damn Trade Federation. Everything we know about them in terms of their representation in canon, aside from the fact that they're the Trade Federation, we know nothing else about them. Everything yeah. else is dead or gone by the end of Revenge of the Sith with the Trade Federation that we knew. So it's going to be really interesting to see, okay, how does the Trade Federation evolve? What happens to it? At the end of the day, it, to, in my, to my knowledge, it doesn't exist at the time of A New Hope. So, well, I actually have a theory about this. Oh? Yeah. So the Trade Federation is a major proponent of trade in the galaxy at the time of the Phantom Menace and even the Clone Wars. What happens when a totalitarian, all-encompassing government is attempting to take over all aspects of trade and uh, monetary exchange? It's going to be pushing out the trade federation and the banking clan and all in the in the techno union and all of these major players that we see previous to the imperial era. What happens whenever businessmen try to get pushed out? They begin to cause a scene. They begin to cause an uproar. They're no longer needed. They and I think we could really see the uh, trade federation, the techno union, and the banking clan. Uh, but particularly the Trade Federation, because it seems to be a, a large part of the show going forward, to um, become rebels in a sense. I, I don't. Think, I don't think that's going to be able to be possible because at the end of the day, if they tried to fight alongside the rebellion at any point, they're too big of a player to have just been eradicated. Yeah, it'll be it'll be something similar to Mimbam. It will be it'll be occupation and. Yeah. Small war. Yeah. And it, I was even thinking like, well, hell, what if there's a really cool tie into the Death Star? But the problem is, is Alderaan is the first time they use the full power of it. So they can't just blow it out of the sky. 
Um, well, actually, there's a lot of Trails of the Death Star within this show. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of Cassian's mission is to figure out what they're doing with Kyber crystals. No, right. I, my point is though is that they can't say that the Death Star is the reason that the planet got blown up because Alderaan was the first time they blew up a planet. And the first time they used it was Jeddah. And at that point we're already past the timeline of the Cassian show. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, that won't be the end of the trade Federation. There's gotta be some other way. And I think you're right. I think it'll be more, uh, occupation or it could just be, they bomb the ever loving schnoz out of it. Like they did to Mandalore. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. All to I know it. is I want, I want some Nemoidians picking up blasters and super cool like fish tactical combat gear fighting against the empire yeah and i would love to see i would love to see some really interesting conversations between trade federation members in the imperial senate because that's probably that might even be a major plot point of Mm -hmm. these these uh businessmen going to mothma and some of some of the other senators and saying what's going on? Like, do yeah. you know what's happening? What are the conversations happening in well, this right now to and, push us out of our rightful place? And this plot line with the Trade Federation may be what starts turning more than the the very sketchy transition to the Empire turns senators like Organa or, or solidifies Organa's position and then turns other senators that weren't as convinced that, hey, something really messed up's going on here. This This is like, you know, how the empire is handling economics or trade. They're absolutely dismantling the status quo. Exactly. And so for some, some senators or the senators that are less involved or less uh, t- uh, dependent on the Republic, the whole transfer to the empire isn't as big of a deal, but this might be when these planets are like, Oh shoot. And I think we're going to see, and I hopefully, I hope we see in graphic detail, the, Oh crap, it's too late to get out of the empire. I want to see the planets that are like, "No, no, no, no. We believe the best of the empire. We, you know, we really think they're a force for good and we really blah 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 because there's always those people that are or too trusting. I want to see the the people that are too trusting or the systems that are too trusting get bitten in the butt because now it's occupational. Now it's just the brutality and dictatorial style of the empire. Um because then that only makes that helps juxtapose the crucialness or the vita- the vitalness, vitality, I don't know. The vitality. Importance, the importance of the decision to get out of the empire before it's too late, to remove yeah. yourself and align with the rebellion before it's too late. Because aside from, a, well, I will say this, thanks to Disney, we that's really the only time we get to see the occupational nature of the empire besides tattooing in A New Hope. Yeah. And this best been for a minute in Empire Strikes Back. We but, see true occupation in Mimbam. Exactly. Well, that and Corellia, all that stuff. Uh, Rebels. Yeah. So I want to see more of that, but I want to see the inklings of it. I want to see people fighting back and saying, no, you can't do that. We're a free, we're a free people. And the Empire just not not in unnecessary violence, but in yeah. in, in in the way that Tamara Morrison's clone character in Obi-Wan communicated very graphically and very uh, emotionally a point or a message without having to do much. I want that level of imagery yeah. in Andor about now the occupation. Because going back to Kenobi, that also makes the tragic... Um, I th- Well, okay. Totally separate thought. I know I'm rambling. One of the beautiful things is 
is clones didn't want to occupy, but clones were the ones that were literally programmed and designed to obey. The irony is, is the people that are the ones under submission or being, uh, being occupied are the ones that end up signing up for the empire and trying to occupy their fellow species or, or their fellow people. Like the empire of all the points in the star Wars story to have an army that says, you know what? No, we're not going to occupy our neighbors. It would be the empire within uh, conscripted soldiers, but they're the ones that are so willing and so aware and so excited almost to, to submit over or not to submit over, but to Lord over their neighbors. Well, it speaks to the philosophy of what George Lucas was trying to get across in the prequel trilogy is how does an empire fall? How does a civilization soldiers designed for civilization? Yeah. How does a civilization get so brainwashed in order to, uh, to, to fall into the trap? Oh yeah. Yeah. How much propaganda can you stand until you're, uh, until you're a drone? Yeah. Which, if anything, is like you were saying about how the original trilogy was topical to the, to the time of the era. If if any political subliminal message was to be made in Andor, it should be the effect of propaganda. Yeah, and censorship and the yep. lack of freedom of speech. And yep. maybe that's what's going to happen. And maybe ruffle some feathers a little bit. Well, I don't knowing it's Disney, it won't ruffle any feathers. Um, I just hope that they don't let... I hope that they... This is the thing that I think Disney has missed that Lucas was so good at is making social and political critiques without it getting in the way of the story. He let yeah. he lets the critique be a vehicle for the story to move forward. Disney And it's not explicit. It's not even an explicit message. It's one of those right. things where you'd have to you would have to find the nuance, you know? Yeah, but that's the thing, is Disney is for whatever reason. They're putting people in charge that don't know how to tell a story that way. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to talk about clones for a second. Yeah, because, oh, yeah, because we will, dude, we see clones. Oh, queen. Yeah, man, I'll, I will go off my fellow queen. So we <laughs> see clones. We see clones in the trailer. Okay. Think back for me. Think back for me. I'm thinking about how he, how Cassian was in this fight since he was six years old. And what side of the galactics of the of the clone wars his family was on yeah the separatists so i think we're gonna see we see clones wrecking shop i think we'll see clones occupy as we're going in to the um are are you oh and we see clones going into occupying in order and uh Order 66 triggering and the clones being totally brainwashed and beginning to occupy. I do think we'll see that, but I think the show will begin with um, Cassian's family in Homeworld being absolutely ransacked, being absolutely ransacked by the Republic clones. No, I think you're. I think you're right on the money with that. Um, and I think the interesting thing is, is we're going to actually see the perspective of someone that was victimized by the clones, at least in his perspective, um, as someone that growing up, his fight was against the Republic. Yeah, his fight absolutely. Was seeing clones as the bad guys, 
And actually, the fact that this comes full circle now to where the clones or the the people in that armor are actually the bad guys. Yeah, the script's going to be flipped. And one thing I love about Star Wars is giving a little bit of taste of your own medicine. Getting a little bit of a taste of your own medicine and seeing uh, each side and seeing that it is a war. That there necessarily is no right or wrong side in the war. It's just what side you're on. Do you think we're going to get Cassian flashbacks to when he was a child? Oh, absolutely. I think that's going to, I think that's exactly how the show's going to begin. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see Cassian as a young child and uh, we're going to see him whenever he was six years old and he is going to uh, be fighting clones. I, I think he is going to, we're going to see the seeds of what the empire is because I don't think that the, Republic became the empire by a flip of the switch with order 66. I think it happened as soon as the Jedi became went from peacekeepers to generals. I think it's exactly, and we see the seeds of, we see Imperial seeds within the Republic and how they engaged in warfare. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And this is something that I think, um, Sorry, I, I, my dogs are behaving poorly. No, uh, I think one thing I'm, I I wish we could see, and I don't know how they do this telling the story, but I want to see Cassian's perspective on the Jedi. I want to see yeah. um, what what are the Jedi to Cassian? What are the Jedi um, to the layman of the galaxy? Well, right. D- did he hate them all along and he doesn't believe that they turned against the chin because here's the thing is if the Jedi, if, if Cassian buys the narrative that the Jedi betrayed the chancellor, then the Jedi betraying the chancellor and the Republic would then be allies of Cassian because then they're anti the government. If also he's so distrusting of Baze and Chirrut on Jedi. So what's up with that? Well, exactly. So I think there's a lot of room, um, a lot of room there. And I just want to apologize real quick because I, to the, to the audience, I kept thinking I was muting myself as uh, the dogs were going crazy. And I was raising my hand uh, in the, uh, in the little Zencaster session. So uh, apologize for that. But I think uh, we all got dogs. It's all good. I got, I got two roommates that behave like one. Well, and I, you know, (laughs) we all have dogs and we all have a hankering for a beer sometimes. Um, No. So I think, the the grounds for the Andor story are fertile. It's just going to be a question of Disney doing it right. And this is really something that I wish Lucas could come back and have the reins for the show. Because I think Lucas would be the best at telling it. Even though Disney laid the groundwork for such a good show, I think this is right up George Lucas's alley. It's something that I believe it will be a property that George sees in his mansion with his wife walking around just I don't know where I was going with that. I was trying to make a very funny joke about uh George Lucas having sexy time. It didn't work. He's gonna say, Oh, this is good. This is great. I love this. This is excellent. This well is I guess I guess your joke could be is he wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell if he was having sexy time or drinking a Starbucks because his uh sayings would be the same. Oh, this is good. That's great. I love uh, it. What was the, what was his uh critique? Um in the prequels, it was faster with more what? Oh, faster, more intense. I, yeah, I need a little bit faster, more intense. That's all he would say. 
He's like, this is this is good. This is just fashion intense enough. <laughs> this is excellent. Um, so going on to the next section is we're going to talk about some legacy characters that are going to come in. There are some, but not many, because this is a completely new ensemble, pretty much. But Vader, this just in, is not in the show whatsoever. So this won't be Rogue One. We got Vader already. He's not here. But you know who is here? Who? One who has unlimited power. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, we're definitely seeing the Emperor. We're definitely seeing Ian McDermott, no question. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I think is very interesting that that they borrowed from Rebels uh, that's going to be very present in the show is the formed Emperor will be nowhere to will be nowhere to be seen in the show hey, hey we're getting a call we're getting a call yeah uh oh my god you won't believe this it's a cease and desist from pablo hidalgo's office you're kidding no they say that uh they've lost him and they'd really prefer if we would stop slandering a client good so, night i mean i guess he's I mean, they would have to know where he is, right? Because they can't just say something unless their client does, you know, unless he gives them the message. So they must be in contact with Pablo. Well, that's good. That means we might actually have some consistency in canon. Now that I think about it, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the sneak peek of the Cassian Andor set because he might have been hiding in the background as an extra trying to sneak his way back into Lucasfilm headquarters. I think I saw, I think I saw him and he had a cardboard box. And there was a cardboard box in the background, and I remember seeing there were arm holes and leg holes carved into the box. And I was wondering to myself, what could that possibly be? Maybe he's disguised himself as a cardboard box and is moving around on set to do some espionage for the resistance of keeping canon synchronized. Yeah, well, all I know is, is if I see a trail of blood uh, screen left or right, out of the out of the frame, or, or just just close to the edge of the frame, I'm gonna know it was Pablo kicking and screaming as they dragged him off set, bloodied and beaten. <sighs> Poor guy. It's it's a shame what they did to his his wonderful story group. Yeah, it's a shame. With his murdered, broken, him, murdered him with the creation of Rise of Skywalker. With his broken him. glasses, stomped the pieces by the clones as they occupy Baraka or wherever. Yeah. Oh goodness. But um. One thing that he might have actually had influence in oh, is this little tidbit from Rebels that is being brought back in terms of Palpatine. We're not going to see deformed Palpatine. We are going to see Chancellor Palpatine. The the public will not see deformed Palpatine so they don't get spooked out by their zombie emperor. Right. So they're hiding the fact that he is deformed by Mace Windu at the hand of Mace Windu. Uh, in several different public holograms, and we're going to see that throughout the show, and that's going to be a, a, that's going to be a plot beat for the show. That's going to be really, really cool. Yeah, because we see Ezra in the final couple episodes of Rebels uh, speaking with Palps, and he's not, he's not, he's not. Uh, well, he's not, that, he's not that, Darth Sidious. There, he's that's he's, him force projecting himself, though. That or or. In the force that, but no, that was, no, that was a uh, that was a hologram. It couldn't have been because the hologram was using the force. Are we? To, not, I, maybe I, we need to go back and watch that episode. 
Yeah, well, and what I was going to say is, is he says literally to the senators in Revenge of the Sith, the attack on my life has left me scarred and deformed. I doubt. But that's, I, the, but that's the Senate chamber. That's not the public. No, but my point is the senators are going to go back and tell their people, hey, uh, the Jedi attacked the chancellor, blah, blah, blah. Like, I to, to think that, I don't think it's going to be locked down like, holy crap, we need to keep a secret like that Vader, or Anakin is Vader. It's not going to be that level. I think it just might be something that they're not going to like push in people's faces. But I don't think they're going to try to hide it. Because I think if that was the case, Palpatine wouldn't appear before the senators. I mean, I think it would be a good tactic to strike fear of this is what the enemies of the Empire do. This is what will happen to but you. That's my point. Is they should you, use it. You resist. I don't think they're going to hide it. And yeah. your evidence was rebels, and I'm not convinced that that's even accurate. So, okay. So, oh, so yeah. So, but we also that. have another friend in the show. Who might that be? Tarkin. He's back. Oh Lord! Can they stop? CGI'd and everything. Can they stop? And you know what that means? Can Can we Lord talk about? Krennic is also present. Can we talk about something? Yeah, what's up? So let me ask, is this a, is this a point that we can kind of deep dive on something? Uh, the I mean, I don't see the bottom of the pool. I guess you can dive in. Hell yeah. Let's talk about the the ethics of of the CGI and bringing characters that were portrayed by actors back to life when those actors have passed. Um yeah, totally unethical. I think it depends. I think it's a lot more nuanced. I, think, uh, I believe, I think the I believe only, there needs to be a blessing from the the uh, loved ones that have passed. I, I don't even think that should be allowed. I think the only case in which it should be okay is like Mark Hamill is alive and he is giving them blessing to use his image and his likeness. Now, granted, I understand legally the families, like when people dis- when people pass away that are famous, get the rights to that likeness. However... The family typically cannot make decisions. So, like, if the actor was alive, that, that let's say it was Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee's brother can't just say, oh, yeah, no, Christopher would love the role, and then sign Christopher up for a role if Christopher Lee was alive. So I don't think they should be allowed to do that when he's dead or fill in the blank of whoever it is. Because at the end of the day, it's not just that you're using your their likeness. You're basically hiring them for the role without them being able to actually perform in the role. And then, and I'm not saying that people will think, oh my God, that's the same actor. Uh, like nobody sees Graham off target in Rogue One and thinks, holy shit, that's Peter Cushing and he's still alive. I get that. But it does, um, it plays a part in defining the role that they created without them having a say or a part in it. And I don't, I don't think it's fair. I don't. I especially don't think it's fair uh, in the case of Carrie Fisher. Now they did her for Rogue One, and that's fine. Using her more, well, she was still alive at the point of Rogue One's uh, release. Didn't she die in 2016? She died in 2016, but it was a couple of days after. So during the making of the film, she okay, probably had already given them the blessing to do so. But even then, I think that's okay. Um, I don't think. I I. I just have a problem. I think it's unethical. And then it opens up to this fact. What the hell is the point of even hiring actors? What, what, what is the point of hiring actors anymore if you can just CGI their face 
and have someone get close enough to voice acting where it works. Why, why even have actors? Like seriously, at least actors that you really want. Why can't they just make a new Blade Runner and then de-age Harrison Ford when he passes away? Why do you even need Harrison Ford anymore? You don't. Yeah. And it's unfair to the actors, to be completely honest, because let's say a studio goes, you know what? We're going to get permission from the family or whatever to use the likeness. You don't have to pay the family what you would have had to pay the actor for the role. It's if tricky. If I, I think it's a pretty tricky thing. If Harrison Ford demands like an $80 million number, but the studios, when he passes, can pay $5 million to the family for his likeness, and for all intent and purpose, you get Harrison Ford. You just didn't you know, have to pay Harrison Ford or the family. I think that's really, really unethical and unfair. And I think, I think Lucasfilm in particular isn't doing it intentionally. Yeah. I, I think they're the most common perpetrator currently. They're I the mean, most they common perpetrator. The Secondly, I think the motive is, is Lucasfilm is so, so tunnel visioned on pure cash. And I get that that's the point of all these projects. Lucasfilm isn't doing it because they care about storytelling so much. They're doing it to make money and they'd better be good at storytelling to make that money. I get that. But I somewhat disagree. There's somewhat, people, I somewhat disagree. There's people within it that care about that more than anything else. But my point is, is Disney bought it. Disney does not care about anything but making the bottom line. That by nature of being a business, that's how it works. I get that there's that, people in that. That is Disney, but also I think you can separate Disney from Lucasfilm. Well, sure, but at the end of the day, Lucasfilm doesn't get to do anything unless Disney says to. So Lucasfilm is Disney's bitch, no matter how much we want to say, oh, well, they're artists and and they are like i I get that they create art but they create art within the scope of disney's money-making budget at the end of the day you're no longer president of lucasfilm and you're no longer president of disney if you can't return the investment to stakeholders so at the end of the day that's how it works but my point is i think they're so focused on holy crap we need to squeeze everything we can out of these legacy characters oh shoot well half of them are dead well i guess we'll just bring them back well, I think there is an important thing to note in terms of there are characters that have already been created in the Star Wars franchise that if you're playing around in the sandbox that those characters are uh, pertinent to, you, what's the point of creating a new character just to fill that role? It's going to be more confusing and it's going to seem weird. Say that again? I don't. When you say create a new character to fill that role, do you mean having someone reprise no, the it, role of the same character or you're saying no, a new one because what do we what do you do with a character that you know exists already like you need a character that exists are you going to recast them i mean that's i think that's, that's the point is don't write stories that include that character that have to be represented in that medium do an animated series like clone wars did obviously james arnold taylor doing Obi isn't that the likeness of characters well, the studio owns the character. The family owns the likeness of the actor. So no, they're not. Because well, if that was the thing about Peter Cushing in the Clone Wars. He was dead by the time the Clone Wars rolled around and they used his likeness whenever he was younger. No, Bo, that's you're not understanding my point. No, to I you, am. It's it's the same thing though. It's just an animated likeness. But it's I I don't I would have to look up how the law works. If you were to make a cartoon, if you were to make almost a caricature, because obviously in the Clone Wars, all the features were ex uh, exaggerated, squared off noses, squared off everything, 
and and some things like obviously it wasn't photo real obviously i i doubt that crosses into having to use the likeness and i doubt lucasfilm had to go get permission from peter cushing's family to use his likeness in an animated show where his name is never brought up it, obviously peter cushing wouldn't be brought up he's not credited and they're getting a totally different voice actor the same way i don't think they had to go get Alec Guinness's family's permission and Ewan McGregor's family's permission to make Obi-Wan a character. I don't think that's the case. Um, so at the end of the, I, I just don't think that's how that works. But more than that, even if let's say you're not going to do animated, it could be writing a book using that character. It could be doing a comic and the comic style is drastically different from the likeness of the character. If that is the case, there's ways to tell stories with characters where the actors or the people that brought it to life have passed away without going and animatronically or prosthetically recreating the appearance of the original actors. I just, I, I have a problem with it. And I think it's freaky unless the actor is there and capable of saying, yes, I want you. This here's the thing is the way they did it with Mark Hamill, I think is the right way to do it. Mark Hamill was on set. He was helping provide direction for the body double. And then in a few scenes, Luke, uh, Mark Hamill was, uh, portraying Luke and then obviously they de-aged I think there was that was the right way to do it because they were working with the actor to bring the role to life and I think at the end of the day that's what the art should be I don't think that the art should be focused on trying to at the end of the day the artist creates the art and I think the artist in the case of movies is the actors and the writers not Granted, I know if people are doing CGI, it creates art. But my point is, is the art isn't let me go recreate this person and then let's try to match their performance from a while ago without them involved. I just don't think that's actually creating art, my personal opinion. But I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's ethical. And I think Lucasfilm needs to be really careful because although they may well, be... I think they need to be careful because I, I think there's absolutely a risk from even a story perspective that you're going to overdo it. You're gonna over. You're gonna rely at the end. What could, what could even, what would Star Wars even look like if, you know, if we're playing in these sandboxes of time periods and it's just, you know, it's all characters that are dead. Like if Mark Hamill dies and Harrison Ford dies, and it's a story about isn't this Harry, it's a story about Leia, Han, and Luke. Like no one really wants to see that. For years is new Star Wars stories and. Like, to me, that's the whole point. Finish the damn story with the characters. Like, you, I don't think Lucasfilm needs to, for the next milestone, will be 60 years telling the same story of the same character, or different stories of the same characters. 50 years. 50 years is uh, in uh, five years. Oh, okay. 50 it's years. 45 this year. 50 years, and if Disney has their way, 60 years. And if, assuming Mark Hamill lives to the average male age, It'll be close to seventy years of the same story, or the same. Exactly. Character. We 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 need new characters. We need That's fresh blood. We That's need new timelines. We need we need stories. We need Star Wars to progress into something new eventually. That's exactly my point. So create stories on a smaller level that don't involve the large characters, or write stories about existing characters that are just able to be portrayed with the actors portraying them. Hell. All the Rebels characters, as of now, never have a time expiration on it because the characters aren't portrayed by real-life actors or actresses, except for Ahsoka now, obviously, having been in Mando. Uh, Rosario Dawson has, like, 40 years left in her to live. Right, right. So 
there it's not like every star wars character that we've seen has been portrayed in movies it, it's it's uh actually uh plurality of the characters have been portrayed in movies more of them have been portrayed off screen than on at least in any sizable manner obviously there's characters that and are, there's more characters that already exist in star wars that have not even been in live action exactly grand you and such there's characters that are portrayed in suits that don't need to be portrayed uh because they're human so yuana suatomo obviously being chewbacca rather than peter mayhew that's not something where Peter Mayhew's face was synonymous with the character. So that's that's able to be portrayed as many times over as you want. Um, and that's that's kind of the thing is go tell new stories. And I think Disney shot themselves in the foot because they were trying to do that with the sequels and they blew it. They blew their chance to have new legacy characters that everybody just couldn't get enough of. So they blew that opportunity. So now this is, I think, why they're leaning so heavily on these legacy characters is like, well, we kind of tried to tell our own trilogy story. Absolutely blew it. We got to go back to legacy characters. And if we tell our own unique stories, we have to do it on a smaller budget and a smaller scale. So they started off with one season of Mando and it blew up. It was fantastic. Rogue One blew up, was fantastic. So they had glimmers of, of hope there. And obviously they've continued to tell those stories, but you can tell Disney and Lucasfilm is intentionally cautious about going full blown into new characters, whole new trilogies, whole new multi-movie arcs. And that's why all this crap's been so delayed, whether it was Ryan Johnson's trilogy or Kevin Feige's movie that we were supposed to be getting, or um, what was the, what were the Game of Thrones directors that were supposed to get their own stuff? Benioff and Weiss. Yeah. Like the amount of movies that we were promised that have been, not just like, oh, because of production constraints, we're pushing it back a year. It's like, we haven't even started. Um, we're not feeling comfortable starting yet. We're going to push it back further. So I think it's evident behavior. And they've been doing more video games. Or, and that's another one. Video game likenesses. So Cal Kestis, obviously, is, is the likeness of a real-life actor. So if they want to bring that into live action, go for it. If they want to keep it in video games, go for it. But there's plenty of ways to tell these stories that don't require you to Photoshop over somebody's face. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Disney's make, well, and it's not that Disney's making an issue out of it, to be fair. I feel like this has not been um, as passionate as other criticisms, but I feel like it's been fairly widespread, at least the concern of, hey, is this ethical to keep doing this at this rate? Um, or, or, and, and if we keep doing this, will we ever see original Star Wars again? Exactly. So I feel like it's something that, is at least being noticed and Disney doesn't have to make it an issue. Like they can easily, I just think Disney needs to get their moxie back with star Wars to be perfectly honest. And hopefully Andor will do that. I think Andor can be that in large scale success. I think Mando obviously has been that and will be that, but here's the thing is Disney, even on the TV front, Obi-Wan and Boba Fett objectively successful, not Mando level successful. Yeah. And so I think Disney's well, well, both of that took big swings and tried to create a new character out of a right. character that already existed. Right. Obi-Wan being just a direct continuation of right. yeah, it, it that's a true legacy character show. Boba Fett, I think, is an exception, although follows a legacy character. It's not the same Boba Fett. The whole show is about Boba Fett reinventing himself and becoming a new character. Yeah, Disney's going to have a uh, rude awakening because 
not only is there is there some some concern arising about the efficacy of or the the ethics the morality of this issue but what's more than that is is obi or disney did obi-wan legacy characters and it was not poorly received, but I would say it was about a 60-40 split in terms of people's opinions about the show. 60% really liking it, 40% being anywhere from disliking it to, eh, it's okay, but a lot of criticisms about it. But all the criticisms from Obi-Wan were from the fact that it was about legacy characters, meaning if it was a completely new story, and you told the story of Obi-Wan... Um, it would have had a lot more grace, but also it would have probably been produced at a even a much higher quality than it already was which and exactly. again i like obi-wan because it's going to be a creative that's passionate about their new characters right so that's the thing is the criticisms were because disney was trying things with legacy characters so between the two disney's gonna have to at some point be like all right you know what we were kind of scared of going out on on a limb and coming out with something or completely from the ground yeah. up original and new but they're gonna have to because they're starting to the day will come. The day will come, and I think I think the waters are being tested right now. And I think Favreau and Filoni, we will we will see that. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think they're starting to box themselves in, and before they completely do that or corner themselves um, against the wall or on the hill that they're gonna die on, of well, we're just gonna keep telling the same or the same character stories, but in different ways. Uh, we're gonna run out of time because we're gonna end up with a sequel trilogy at some point. Right. Yeah, right. what are you going to tell the stories in between a new hope and empire? Like that's pretty much the only timeline we have left to explore. Well, that or on screen pre Phantom Menace. Obviously, we've gotten it in comics and books and stuff, but we haven't gotten it on screen yet. The Acolytes full steam ahead. It starts production oh, soon. That's, that's another one. That's that's, that's totally new characters, and a lot of leaks are actually coming out about that. And that sounds really cool as well. Yeah, um, if they so- stick the landing, it'll be really cool. I'm down if you want to go into Mando. It is completely your call, though, if you want to devote another hour show to Mando. Uh, let's do another hour show for Mando season three because there, that's that's I mean that's like the really cool leak. So we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's fresh for the picking, and we still got some more uh, uh, Andor stuff to talk about that's still on the show map, um, and also some stuff that's come out recently. Yeah. Well, I think I think yeah, Mando is going to be a really good episode, um, and I think Mando uh, still has a lot of discussion to talk about because we are going to get the final trailer really soon. Well, yeah, so I think we're because we still have those three episodes that we had kind of stored up for whenever yeah. we got we're, a Mando episode. Thirty-two days play. until Andor drops. Uh huh. We got uh, a Mando episode and then two more Andor episodes to do, or one more Andor Andor episode to do for a total of two. Not including when the show drops. So um, there's going to be a lot of juicy, crispy, fruity stuff to get into um, this upcoming month. Um, so everybody stay tuned. Bo, is there anything you want to touch on before we before we say goodbye? Oh, no. There's – yeah. It, how much how much time do you have? Technically, uh, there I have no plans. But, you know, we uh, don't want to bore the listeners. We're already at an hour, so – yeah, absolutely. There's still some more stuff I want to talk about in terms of Andor. All right, let's jump on it. I want to talk about Mandos. Neil Scanlan made his first Mandos, supposedly. Oh, yeah. And they are a new clan of Mandalorians that go full barbarian and have armor, Bes- they have Beskar 
uh, covered in bones. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And they they decorate their armor with bones. So we can even keep a tally if these leaks are correct. Because what happens if we see all these leaks and there's no Nemordians, there's no Mandos, and there's no what I'm about to mention next? Oh, boy. I know. Can you imagine? We could even do a profit or loser on the show. But Ooh. the next thing that I want to talk about is we're going back to Utapau. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. And Tion Medon, played by Bruce Spence, as we see in Revenge of the Sith, is coming back. Really? Uh-huh. He's coming That's back. Exciting. He's slated for several episodes. That's very exciting. Yeah. Continue. Um, so as much as and I also want to hit on this ensemble piece because okay. we're going to be introduced to a plethora of new characters, a plethora folks, a plethora. And there's a lot of new characters that have been introduced recently that are noteworthy for future storylines. Disney is laying the groundwork in going to our point of where's the new star Wars. It's like, it's happening it's being laid out before our eyes they're seeing what characters that people in storylines that people attach themselves to yeah well i think this goes back to kind of our earlier point um disney really needs to kind of jump off the uh the diving board into a, a pool of new stories and i think that Unfortunately, we're going to get excellent new stories with Andor. But after the Andor show, there's not really anywhere to go in terms of continuing those storylines in any significant way. Especially, oh man. I feel like some of these guys could show up in Mando later on. They with can the show up, up, but my point is, is they can't be too big or too important because then there's no reason they wouldn't show up in the original trilogy. Well, I think we can... I think any larger than Cassian. I don't know. I think we can still see the Galactic Civil War from separate points of view. Well, sure. But again, they can't be so important to the Rebellion effort that they're any larger than Cassian. Like, they can get to Cassian scale, sure. But even Jyn Erso and Cassian were responsible for the Death Star plans. And they got killed off. So if we have any different perspectives it'll be different perspectives and hopefully great stories but they won't be characters that are so big and so well um i don't know how to say it i guess they're just not going to be as as crucial or as important yeah. story as yeah. like listen half the reason we like the characters in the original trilogy is because all the characters we really see and love are integral to the whole plot of the galactic civil war Anything sure. other than those characters or even the level of Cassian and Jin are going to be less important. Now they might be just as well told, but you're going to lose part of what part of your ability or part of your motive to care. Because at the end of the day, it's like, well, who really gives a, you know what, what they do because it doesn't have an effect on the general story of the galactic civil war. But obviously you might have motive to care within the little story arc that they get on the side. I don't know, man. I I disagree. I think there's. I still think you can play around in these in these uh, timelines where stories have already taken place. I I'm not saying. Although it. I think it's going to be less interesting because right. it doesn't have Luke, which is I mean I'm a part of the problem, but you know it's 
there's still there's still there's still a lot of rich storytelling in these grand climactic eras of the galaxy. No, I agree, but this goes back to the only reason they're telling stories within these time frames is because there's a way that they can tie in legacy characters or legacy storylines. The problem is is you can't tie into those big storylines without getting big characters that are then important. So if you avoid going into the massive kind of through line of the Galactic Civil War, you get smaller characters and smaller storylines, which is fine, but then Disney kind of loses why they're telling stories in that time period. It's not just because there's fertile ground for storytelling it's because well we're going to tie it into something familiar that kind of gives us a baseline guaranteed level of success and viewership that we can then expand on so i don't know it'll be interesting but like i said i have no doubt and no question that great stories can be told but there is an upward ceiling on how big and how crucial these stories can be how far they can go yeah exactly and that's the That's the thing with the Cassian shows. It might be an expertly told story and that'll be really attractive to people that watch it for the story, but you're going to lose all the people that are going to watch it because they don't know what happens. Meaning the people that are like, Oh man, what happens to Cassian? I really want to know what happens to this new character. Well, everybody knows what happens to him in the end. It's just going to be who are the people that watch it because they care about the story or that there's really cool action or whatever. Sure. I think I think it's rather one dimensional, but I see your point. Well, and I'm yeah, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying realistically there are people that watch stuff because they don't know how the story ends. Um and people that watch it for that. Like that's the only reason I went to go see Avengers Endgame is because I didn't know how it ends. I didn't really give a shit or like I wasn't super invested in the characters, but I was like, "Hey, I just want to know how it ends." So imagine going like watching the first Avengers if all you care about is the end, or not the first Avengers, uh, Civil War, wait, Infinity War, sorry. If you watch Infinity War and all you care about is how it ends and you've already seen, seen Endgame, well, you're going to be probably not watching Infinity War because at the end of the day, you know what happens. Yeah. That's the whole point. At least for the casual viewer. Right. Uh, which is kind but of scary, but also I think there's, I think it's the girth of the story that's yet to be told. We don't know what happens to Cassian at this point in his life. Well, I'll put it to you this way. So there's plenty of people I know that have tried to watch Rogue One and they didn't even like watching Rogue One, but they're Star Wars people. So like the Andor story is already like they didn't care about the character arc when it had to do with getting the Death Star plans. And now you're going to tell a backstory to that arc. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's justified. But my point is, is there are fans out there that are not just casual viewers of TV or movies, but actual Star Wars fans that enjoy the universe of Star Wars and and are willing to be called nerds or whatever for it or whatever you want to call it. Buy Star Wars merch, buy Star Wars props and all this stuff. They're that into it, but they couldn't get through Rogue One. So that's all. And there's those people out there. And those are, I think, at the end of the day, Disney isn't, I feel like I've said this a thousand times and not, I'm not saying this episode. I'm just saying like in my life, Disney cannot make Star Wars stuff for Star Wars fans alone because Star Wars fans will watch anything you put out. Exactly. They have to make stuff for people that aren't just Star Wars fans, but that aren't fans or are actually opposed to Star Wars or think it's nerdy or, or look down condescendingly at it. They have to get those people in to keep growing it. And so I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. 
honestly, if there is anything that can do that while maintaining the Star Wars fan base. But I don't necessarily think Andor is going to be that. Again, not knocking how good the story I think is going to be. I'm going to watch it and it will potentially be my favorite piece of Star Wars TV content besides Mando and Clone Wars. I don't doubt that it can be. Um, but there are going to be some Star Wars fans that just don't watch it. And I don't, you know, yeah. that's at that point, what can you do? Yeah, I. Um, I don't know, man, I think it's just telling new stories at the end of the day. And and that's kind of what I'm saying is, you know, there's that. Rogue One is extremely interesting and a lot of people really like it, but even then you're. It is, oh, I guess it is a new story. It's just the same characters. I don't want to conflate the two, but um, I want to see, and I think this is why I'm excited for Cassie, and it's going to tell a story arc in particular that we haven't ever seen in Star Wars, where it's almost, if if we get to see his childhood and his teenage years, it's him on what we've known as the bad team, the bad guys, but being justified in his rationale and in his fighting. So that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, it's going to be a very morally gray show. Well, I don't know if it's going to be morally gray as much as it's going to be. Well, okay, I'm I'm not going to get tied in tied up in semantics necessarily. I think the the crux of it, or or the reason I I thought for a minute maybe using different words, is that it's going to make you ask the tough questions. Sure. Can't you know Cassian does objectionable things for the right reasons. You know, it's going to ask questions of, you know, something being a means to an end or do does the end justify the means or, or stuff like that um, that we haven't seen. And, and I'm thinking in particular at the beginning of Rogue One uh, when we have Cassian shooting the informant in the back to keep him quiet so that Cassian can get out and get the information back to the rebellion successfully that might turn the tide of the entire galactic civil war. But he has to kill somebody to do that. You know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong either way, but it's going to make you ask that question. Is that justified? Yeah. And But we're going to get that, but directed towards who we've always grown up thinking were the good guys, but who George Lucas intentionally was writing as the bad guys, and that being the Republic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be really good. It's going to be... On that level, I think Cassian will only be good on that level. I don't think it will be good for a casual viewer, in all honesty. I think it will. I, I really hope it will, and I think it will. I think it's going to be an interesting enough show. I think the I think the large ensemble is going to bring a lot of people in because large ensemble pieces in streaming worlds are very popular. It's, it's it's yeah, it's it's a it's a piece that is particularly catered to the streaming audience and i think i I really do think it's going to bring a lot of people in i think it's going to bring a lot of people in that really aren't into star wars i think your uh i think your point is correct and actually it's only strengthened by the fact that we've seen how powerful bad boys has been in taking over the streaming space right now on amazon and the whole crux of it is superheroes that are realistic and not so ideological and i think andor if done well will capitalize on this and who knows now that I'm saying this, Andor could be the lar- the best thing since sliced bread. Not necessarily in my opinion, but you can tap into everybody that's a Bad Boys fan and then the entire Star Wars fan base. And uh, that's basically going to be everybody that watches TV is one yeah. of those two. So, Yeah, and I, I think it's going to have a lot of those classic tropes of espionage and political thrillers that's going to bring a lot of people 
that are in an older crowd, a Generation X crowd, a ba- a boomer crowd. I think it's going to capitalize on a lot of things that people enjoy yeah. in, in storytelling. And the fact that it has the Bourne trilogy mastermind and of in a creator of many other excellent uh, IPs yep. uh, backing the entire thing, the guy that single-handedly saved Rogue One, um, I think it's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the entire streaming world. And one other thing I want to touch on before we say goodbye to the viewers is Tamara Morrison filmed for an entire month in England for the show. What what character? What I guess clones or it's some clone, some or clones. I don't know, man. They're it's... hiding him from the trailers, apparently. If if this is true, what if what if Cody? it's Boba Fett? That would be fascinating. A younger Boba Fett. The Empire. That would be cool. I'm here we, for that. We're such suckers, man. We're such suckers. We talk about how everything needs to be new. We're like, oh my gosh, what if it's Boba Fett? Well, no, here's a really good idea. Uh, well, I guess Give it the old work. Boba Fett to people. Give them the new and the old Boba Fett. Well, I was going to say, uh, in comics, when Boba pursues finding out Luke's identity, that's after New Hope, right? Yeah, that's after New Hope. Okay, I would say it would be cool if we could see that storyline, but they can't do that. Honestly, it would be cool to see Vader. Uh, well, uh, well, I mean, what would be cool even is seeing Boba Fett pre-Imperial hiring. Just being a, a young-ish bounty hunter and he runs into Cassian somehow or, or or they come at odds or not even saying he's a main antagonist or somebody we see for more than an episode, but just kind of like... Or Rex or the Bad Batch or Cody yeah. or any any clone necessarily. I think clones will... Cody might be a really good point because we are seeing him in Bad Batch. So he might, be, if they're bringing him back for that, also bring him into Andor. I don't know, man. All we know is Tamara Tamer Morrison's present on the Andor Dude, set. That would be such a cool counterbalance to Andor's Cody on the Imperials. That would be fascinating. Because they're and, similar level too. Captain Cassian Andor versus a commander um, in the Imperial Army. And yeah. knowing that people like I do have an affection for Cody, but seeing him on the wrong side of the story. I'm actually going to look and see if he's if he is has a casting bill publicly. Yeah, I'm going to go to IMDb and check this out. You do and that. Maybe we see some even even more people that we are like, oh, that's interesting. Even 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 Peel. What? <laughs> and even Peel. Even yeah, there's yeah. Peele. It's pretty it's pretty crazy how many people are part of this cast. It's it's pretty amazing. Hey, um, yesterday new Lego sets hitting the target shelves. Breaking news: the Mandalorian N1 Naboo starfighter and the Inquisitor ship. Oh, nice. Very cool. Also, Kersantin and Caddy Mundy down the pipeline for Black Series. Yep. Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah, he's uh yeah, he's not uh he's not in this. It doesn't say he's uh he doesn't say he's in it. Huh. Yeah. Man, I'm looking at Tony Gilroy's um man, I'm looking at his his uh his his rap, his his book, like what he's done, and it's it is buck wild. House of Cards, Nightcrawler, um, Born, um, Wow, yeah, Duplicity, yeah, it's, yeah, he was a major, major uh, producer in House of Cards. Well, 
I don't want to get my hopes up too much. But ladies and gentlemen, I think we got a banger coming down the pipeline in Andor. And as always, make sure to follow us on the social media. Go ahead and leave ratings and reviews, guys, really. I mean, I, I don't know what it does for the algorithm, but I genuinely do enjoy seeing what y'all think. We haven't had any new uh, comments or reviews uh, in a while or ratings. So if you're a first-time listener... Yeah, what's up with that, man? What's up with you guys not doing that? If you're a first-time listener, go ahead and leave um, a rating or review of what you think. Uh, knowing that normally I know how to mute myself. I don't know how. Uh, I'm just clueless. Um, but You're an idiot. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Now I get to go edit this in audition, so let's see how this goes. Um, <laughs> but guys, really, we do appreciate it. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We've been growing on both. We really do appreciate it. Make sure to check out XP Coffee if you haven't already. Uh, and I'll, I'm trying to find the link, our particular link uh, for that. We really do appreciate that. I know they do as well. Um, and yeah, we got merch coming down the pipeline. We got more platforms coming. We're really excited. The channel is growing. So thank you all very much. I'm Nicholas Patty. And I am Bo Rodkin. And may the force be with you all.